0: How many of you remember as a kid playing hide-and-seek? Raise your hand. Okay. Now you remember, if you were the one that was doing the counting and everybody else was hiding, whether you were in your house or in the church building or wherever you were, you would turn around or you would count eyes closed, to 10 or 20 or whatever the magical number was, and then when you finished counting, what would you say? There you go. One little boy got it right. Ready or not, here I come. And here you go trying to go on the hunt to find as many as you can. Now, it's real fun when you open the closet doors and you begin finding all those that are hiding. Okay? But you were ready to stop playing the game when what happened? If you couldn't find anybody, I mean all of a sudden that 1 minute and that 2 minutes becomes a lifetime and you your frustration just builds and all of a sudden that fun game of hide and seek is not fun anymore, is it? Now I want you to go back and I want you to think for a moment about our Christian life. And I sometimes wonder if we really know what it means to take up the cross and follow Jesus. I find myself wanting to give everything for Jesus, but sometimes I end up giving just a portion. Do you ever struggle with that? Or then, too often my devotion is half-hearted instead of, wholeheartedly jumping in there like I want. Sometimes I'm double-minded instead of being single-minded. Sometimes I tell Jesus that I want to stay close to him, but then I find myself drifting away and away and away. As we saw last week, the kingdom of God, or as Matthew refers to it, the kingdom of heaven is about two central things. Number one, our surrender to the will of God. It's to the point where we, as we've sung about this morning, we get to the point in our life where we say, Lord, above everything, what I want is I want you to reign in my life. Lord, I want you to reign in my heart. You see, that's what living in the kingdom of God is all about. It's about inviting the rule or the reign of God to come down out of heaven into my heart, into my life. And so on a daily basis, here's what we have to fight. We have to fight that struggle of doing things on our own versus doing things like the kingdom of God. Wants us to do it. Finding ourselves surrendering to the will of God. And number two, we see that the kingdom of heaven is also about God's desire to bring that healing and that peace and that victory and that salvation into my life. Not just for one moment, but for day after day after day we find it so very hard to believe that victory is in surrender. To live a victorious life through Jesus Christ, you have to be able to do this right here. I give up. I give up what I want I give up all my desires, all my wants, and all my wishes, and I'm turning them all over to you, Lord. And I want you to reign, and I want your will to be done above all else in my life. Jesus is the key player in the work in the kingdom, not you and I. And our role is this, if Jesus is the key player, our role is to turn the direction of our lives around and offer them to God to do his will. That's why at the very beginning of the Gospels, Jesus begins by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven, or repent for the kingdom of God is near." What do you do when you repent? You come face to face with what you're doing, and you realize this is not the will of God, and so I need to turn around and I need to make a change in my life. And I don't know about you, we're called to repentance, how often, church? Every day of our life. You ever come face to face with something in your walk with God? Where you look at it and say, oof, I really need to stay away from that. What do you do? Do you kind of play with it a little bit just to see how close you can get and if it's really going to be good? Or do you turn and flee from it? Because that's what God wants. What does Scripture say? Run near to God, and what's He going to do? You go near to God, He's going to come near to you. So where are you this morning in your walk with God? And so I want to ask these series of questions before we look at our story today. Where does devotion to Jesus really come from? I mean, what is it that can really move me into a deeper, more consistent walk with God? What is it that's going to transform an uncommitted person into a fully committed disciple? Wow, what a question. Think about that. What is it that's really going to transform an uncommitted person into a fully committed disciple? What's it going to take for you to be more than just a fan of Jesus and be a follower of Jesus? Well, Jesus has a lot of fans. Big deal. What he wants is someone to say, I want to follow you. I want to lay down what I want, and I want to really follow your will for my life. And so what is it that turns half-hearted believers into whole-hearted followers of Christ? I want to start in Matthew chapter 6, so on, in your Bibles or on your smart gadgets or whatever you want to turn to, find Matthew chapter 6, and I'm not making fun of it, I just want you to find it, however it's convenient for you. And I want you to jump down to verse 33. Building up to that, Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what do we eat? or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get an amen on that verse right there? Don't worry about tomorrow. you got to get through right now. Jesus says, I'm the Lord of all. I'm going to be the one to take care of yesterday and today and tomorrow. I'm going to be the one to take care of that. And so I think we discover the answer to those series of questions in Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus begins with the parable of the sower. And here's what happens. Jesus is with his disciples, and that same day at the very beginning of chapter 13, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the lake, and there were so many people that were coming up, such large crowds gathered, the text says, around me, that he got into a boat, paddled out into the water for a little bit while all the people stood on the shore and the boat became his podium. It became his pulpit, if you want to say. And then he begins to tell them many things in parables. And he's talking to them about one central thing. He's talking to them about the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, here is what living in my kingdom is all about and so look down in verse 10 the disciples came to him and asked why do you speak to the people in parables and he replied the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance whoever does not have even What he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Then I want you to look down in chapter 13 of verse 31. Remember, we've already looked at these two stories of the parables of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. And then in verse uh, 36, he left the crowd and he went into the house and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And that's where I want to pick up, beginning in verse 44. These, what I call twin stories, they're not very long, but they are loaded with life-changing truth. We know these stories as the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. One of the things that these parables teach us is that different people discover the truth about Jesus in different ways. In the first parable, here's a man who isn't even looking for treasure. He just kind of stumbles onto it, and he's walking along, minding his own business, and he finds the treasure in a field by accident. It's exactly opposite of what happens in the parable of the Pearl of Great Price. There you have a merchant who spent his entire life searching for that perfect pearl and ultimately one day he finds it and so the point of these twin stories is one of discovering immense value of the kingdom and here's what begins to happen discovering Jesus and his lifestyle that he came to offer is the greatest discovery that people can make because of its value do you see that it's so great because of what it's worth it's almost like you can't afford not to have it you can't afford not to possess it and so the key question that we'll have in front of us today is this Why would Jesus describe his kingdom like this? What makes his kingdom so valuable and so priceless? I believe when we encounter the kingdom of God and the king himself, it transforms us into servants of the king who live with allegiance to nobody else but him. And that's it. Because in his king, in his kingdom, he's jealous of anything or anyone that you're putting above him. Our God is a jealous God. And so above all else, what Jesus is wanting for you and I every day of life is to deny self and look to his will. Because when you find his will, you have found the greatest discovery of all kind. You have it. And it is worth more than you can describe with words. Amen? Jesus says over in Luke, heaven and earth will pass away. But listen to this next part. But my words will never pass away. Well, that's good. Heaven and earth, one day, gonna be gone. But my words, Jesus says, will never pass away. Any baseball fans in the audience? I didn't say Texas Ranger fans, I said baseball fans in general. I wanna take you back to 1905. There's a baseball game being played at Salt Lake City, Utah. The Rhyolites were playing the babies and the baities were up to bat. Pitcher throws the ball, the batter swings, and the ball rocketed toward first base. First baseman was a man named William Giffitts, and as he saw the ball coming his way, he was, to ma- he was amazed to see how it just kind of ricocheted off a small stone and landed in his glove. Almost too good to be true, but this is really a true story. He beat the runner to first pretty easily. And so that little stone had given Griffiths a a luck break, but he decided that, you know, he had no business on the playing field, and so he walked over and picked it up. And he started to raise his hand to throw it off the field when something caught his eye, and he took a closer look at the stone, and he recognized free gold here. So then he quietly just slipped it back into his pocket. He went on playing the game. Well, that evening... Late, late, after everybody had left the ballpark, lights were off, he went back to the ballpark with a lantern, spent over an hour searching around the soil until he had accumulated a bucket full of rocks. Stayed there all night, and by morning he knew that those rocks were valued at more than $900 a ton. So he called in two friends with them, quietly, you know what they did? They bought the ballpark. And so the mine was called first base and the first shaft entered paying ore at a depth of 33 feet and infielder Griffith soon found himself a very wealthy man. Now that happened in 1905. The story that I just read to you here in Matthew chapter 13, it's almost like such a fine wouldn't have been unusual in Israel. Because here's what you had. Palestine was this land bridge between Egypt and the great empires of the north, and they were often invaded by one army after another. And because of this constant danger of invading armies, and even the activities of common thieves, they didn't have banks like we have today, so you couldn't just take your valuables and just lock them up in a safety deposit box. So what did you do with them? When you got them home, you buried them or you, you hid them somewhere in the house where nobody knew where they were except for you. And so the people who are hearing this story, this parable, they can relate to it because it's actually happening in their life that they're living at that moment And so a lot of times there were occasional earthquakes and so sometimes the owners would have to leave home in a hurry and they would never return or the owners might be captured by invading armies or die suddenly for any number of reasons. And so as a result, a lot of times their family treasures or their family valuables could be forgotten or lost for centuries. There was a missionary back in Syria and Palestine for 30 years by the name of uh, W.M. Thompson. And he told of different workmen that would dig up a garden in Sidon. And these workmen found several copper pots of gold and they did exactly what the man in the parable did. They concealed their find. They took care of it. But then, with all this joy that they had in their heart, they couldn't keep their mouths shut. And so the governor of the city caught them, recovered two "...of the pots, and it was found that they contained 8,000 pure gold coins of Alexander and his father Philip." And Thompson said that he saw hundreds of people all over the country spending their last penny looking for such treasures. I mean, they would come from miles around, and they would sacrifice it all trying to strike it rich and hoping that they would be the next one for this find." And so amongst the people that day who are gathering to listen to Jesus, as he's telling them this parable, this real life story that a lot of them are saying, man, that's what I do. But what's his point? His point is, don't go home and start digging up your yards. So this morning, I'm not saying run home and start digging up your backyards to see what you can find back there. But what we need to realize as we bring that home to life in Jesus' kingdom is simply this. What we have before us is the greatest discovery that we could ever find on God's green earth. And that is, Jesus has given us an opportunity to come into, listen to this, a life-changing relationship with Him we look at that today and say, how could anybody pass this up? It's the greatest place to be. It's in a relationship with Christ. And yet, day by day by day, a lot of people in our world, they don't get it, do they? But you know what, church? I think a lot of times we sit in this room so comfortable that we begin to just kind of get spoiled to the idea, look at all that Jesus has done for me. Look at what he's going to continue to be in my life. But are we really thankful for that? Do we really live a life and be generous with what we have to realize to the point that the little I do have, it's not mine. It's Jesus's. And so what he wants me to do is give it away. And what's going to happen next You give, what does he do in return? He gives back and he blesses you over and over and over again. What Jesus is saying is that wealth or the value of our possessions is sometimes in the eyes of the beholder man finds a treasure in a field, sells all that he has to get the field so he can get the treasure. And you see the attitude that he has, the spirit that he does all of this with? It's an attitude of being joyful. This is really not about me. This is about Jesus welcoming me into his kingdom. Have you thought about that? Jesus welcomes us into his kingdom. But we begin to see as we take up residence in Jesus' house, in his kingdom, we begin to see attitudes must change, lifestyles must change, the way we look at life in general changes. Everything about me changes because it's no longer about me. It's all about the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and finding and doing his will, not just today, but every day of life. What a great deal. This is not just for today. This is for a lifetime. Missionary Jim Elliott said it like this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's why Jesus repeats it over and over through his letters, that the greatest treasure that we can ever have is a relationship with him. And so in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Jesus says, So do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in, where? In heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize living life in Jesus' kingdom is all about a relationship that comes from the heart. When your heart's in the right place, guess what? Jesus has you exactly where he wants you to be. And so the kingdom of heaven isn't about losing or suffering or ending up with the short end of the stick. Kingdom of heaven is about making a killer deal. It's about the best trade you'll ever make. The kingdom of heaven is about trading hell for heaven. It's about trading death for life. It's about trading temporary trinkets for eternal riches. It's about trading bondage. For freedom. They're his freedom in Christ. Isn't that good news? There's a lot of people in our world today that are held bondage by whatever sin that they're struggling with. And they haven't discovered yet that in the kingdom, you can be free from that. And you can really live life the way that Jesus intended for it to be lived. And only when we recognize that will our commitment to Jesus Christ become absolute commitment. And so again in Matthew 13, two parables, a treasure and a pearl, both speak of searching... Both speak of finding and both reveal the same point. They focus on the surpassing worth of living life in his kingdom. Treasure is hidden, but the point is the treasure. The pearl was found, but the story emphasizes the great value that it has. And so together... You take those twin stories, they demand that we ask these questions. What do I value above all else? Ask that this morning to you. What do I value above all else? What is it that I simply must have? And what do I love so much that I would give up all to have it? You see those? What do I value? What is it that I simply must have? And what do I love so much that I would give up all to take possession of it? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What will you do this morning for Jesus? What will you do? Let's stand as we sing this song.